0: the book of james uh, or the first verse of the book of james first the author of the book of james is james the half-brother of jesus secondly james tells us a little bit about himself by telling us that he is a doulos or a slave of god and then as we said not only born a doulos you have to only become doulos by birth and his doulos came by birth into the family of god And third, we saw that James' ministry extended beyond the church in Jerusalem where he was a leader to the dispersed tribes of Israel. James chapter one, verse one. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. So he's greeting this group that he is writing to. Well, today we're going to study verses two through two and three, possibly a little bit into verse four. But as we look at our text today, James begins verse two of chapter one. With an imperative. In other words, it's something you are commanded to do. It's not something that's suggested. It's not something that is just a good idea. It's an imperative. Something that we are to do. So he starts this word with the word, mai," uh, or, or the word, consider. So think about this. He says, consider. In other words, count it. It's something that is to be done. And why would he start this book with this? Why would he start with this book with an imperative such as this? Well, if you notice the subject matter or theme of the text, James is talking about encountering various trials. But not only that, but to consider or count it all joy, or great joy, to have gone through this trial. So he begins with an imperative because it's not typically the first thing on our mind to consider it great joy as we are going through these things. None of us wakes up in the morning and says, Whew, I think it's a great day for a trial. Yes, bring it on. Or when the things that come into life happen, we don't sit there and typically say, Wow! I couldn't wait for this to happen. It's not our nature. It's not our first typical reaction. So he reminds the readers here to start off with an attitude or a mindset of great joy. It's not our natural reaction. Not only for most believers, but mostly for unbelievers as well. So consider what Scripture tells us just for a moment. I want to share several passages of Scripture. You can keep your finger in James, or you can, as I often do, speed read through them. And you'll see them on the screen and so forth. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering. There's that word trial again. It's very almost the same exact Greek word here. Different nuance, but same word. You will have suffering. You will experience trials in this world. But then he says what? Be courageous. There's that, whoo, I can handle this. And we're going to see why in just a few moments. So be courageous. I have overcome the world. The fact that Jesus Christ says you can have courage through this. Why? Because if your faith is in me, you have what you need to get through it. Very clearly. In Acts chapter 14 verse 22, It is necessary to pass through many troubles, or our were trials, on the way to the kingdom. Paul was sharing this with a new convert, convert I believe. And uh, how did he know this? How did Paul know that you are going to experience these difficult trials? Well, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, it says this, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, and I will show him how much he must what? Suffer. For my name's sake. Well, I thought as soon as I became a Christian, as soon as I put my faith in Christ, man, that would be so much better. I wouldn't go through these trials anymore. And wrong. Paul said from experience, you will suffer. I've suffered. Anyone who places their faith and trust in Christ will suffer. Being a Christian is not the absence of suffering in our life. It is not uh, the absence of trials and difficult situations in our life. And Paul can speak from experience as he's telling this convert, you must pass through many troubles, many trials on the way to the kingdom. And we don't know when we're going to get there. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Christ is going to come. Some of us may go through more trials than others. But we're all going to pass through them until we get there. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeals, or the fiery ordeal, the trials, come among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Isn't it kind of amazing that when we go through these difficult times, when the situations that we don't choose, God allows them into our life, and we kind of have this like little world revolves around me syndrome, and we think we're the only ones going through it. God says, wait a minute. Through Peter, He says, don't think it unusual as if you're the only one. I mean, get a life. We all go through it. And uh, there is nobody exempt from the struggles and difficult times of life. So don't be surprised, He says, because you're going to go through it. Everyone, without exception, will face trials. Consider once again what the Scripture reminds us in Job chapter 5, and verse 7. He says, but mankind is born for what? Trouble. <laughs> mankind is born for troubles as surely as sparks fly upward. Have you ever seen sparks that didn't fly upward? I mean, anybody enjoy a good bonfire? You put that fire and you stoke the wood and what do they do? Embers go up. As sure as those sparks go up, mankind is born for trouble. You're gonna go through it. And in Job chapter 14 verse 1, it says, Man born of woman is short of days and full of trouble. We are going to face difficult times. Psalm chapter 22 verse 11, Be not far from me because disaster is near. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 17. I just want to read a portion of that verse. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. Then jumping down to verse 23, he says, For what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with what? Grief. And his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. What happens in life? There are going to be stresses. There are going to be struggles. There are going to be trials. There are going to be difficult situations that you would neither choose or pick if you had the choice to. Second Timothy 3.12 In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might, might, will suffer, or will be persecuted. It's amazing. I think, as we said in Sunday school this morning, this day is going to come more and more. And our minds better be made up that we are going to stand up knowing that there are going to be trials, there are going to be tribulations, there are going to be difficult situations that none of us can control. But on the flip side of that coin, we have to control how we respond to them. It's going to happen. Now, as we're reminded in verse 1, we are to consider it great joy to have the experiences of trials and persecutions in our life. Consider it great joy. I don't know about you, but just, some things just irritate me in life. Um, maybe you're not like me, but I like to have things revolve around me and what I want and what I like, and as often as I want and as often as I like it. I like that. That's my selfish, sinful nature coming out. But he says, it count it great joy. Consider it. If I could remind all of us here today of the simple truth, God makes no mistakes. Think about that. God makes no mistakes. None whatsoever. Not even a hint of a little one. He does not make mistakes. And I also find in life that when God allows something in my life, it's not because it's an accident. It's for my good. Even the things I don't like, even the things I wouldn't choose, they're for my good. Um, and I think God's very clear on that in Scripture. In fact, keep your finger there and turn back to the book of Genesis. In chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And you know the story of Joseph. Uh, I don't know if we could say it this way. Either Joseph is the one of the most unlucky guys in the world, or God had a very special plan for him. As I look at the life of Joseph, all kinds of things happened to him that he would not choose. I think it would be a great day to be sold into slavery. And for my brothers to hate me. And for them to tell my father I'm dead. That sounds like a great plan. No. Either he's the most unlikely or unlucky man in the world, or God sovereignly allowed those things in his life for a purpose. And I think part of that purpose, as I see it, at the end of the book of Genesis, leads right into the book of Exodus, and what God was doing to a nation. And during a difficult time of famine and a difficult time of, uh, of poverty, God set up a man. He just had to go all the way around the bush and then eventually make His way through the bush to get where God wanted Him to be. In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20, it says this, You planned evil against Me. But God planned it for good, to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, what's he say? Don't be afraid. I mean, think about it. Don't be afraid. Are you kidding me? Look what's happening. Look what's happening in our world. I don't know that what's happening today is probably not a whole lot different than then. We always have those who want to do evil. And now you have those that want to do what's right. And he says, listen guys, we have God on our side. We have God. Do we get that? Don't be afraid. What you plan for evil, God planned for good. What's that tell us? God makes no mistakes. He knows what's right. He knows what's best. Can we be reminded just once again of what it says in Romans 8.28? For all things work together for." Good. Sometimes? No. To them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. And then He goes on and tells us why. For whom He did for no, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Everything that God allows is for our good. So that ultimately we would be more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Even when it hurts. Because there's a lot of things that hurt in life. I look at some things that are happening in our culture and I think of my own children and I think, man, what is this coming to? What is, this, what is happening in our own world? I look at what happens on the other side of the world and, and uh, in, in other neighborhoods and, and I think, man, what is this world coming to? And then i got to be reminded. God knew this day would happen. God knew this would be exactly the way it is. He's not shocked by it. He's not surprised by it. Any more than he's not shocked and not surprised by every little detail that happens in our life. Because remember what we say often if God is powerful, and he is, could he not just reach down from heaven down to earth and just kind of separate the winds that would cause destruction? Could he not just withhold the, the cancers and the sicknesses and the illnesses that would cause pain? Yes, he could. But I wonder how much we would depend on Him if He didn't. So those very things that God uses in our life to do two things. Number one, to get our attention and to let us look and refocus back on Him. And at the same time, He says, Look, I do all things for my own glory. That's who God is. That's what God does. So everything. And you have to be reminded of this. Even our Lord suffered through his trial with joy when we look at our text we have to understand this it's an imperative it's an attitude that God wants us to have consider it great joy when we go through these trials paul learned that through trial and tribulations god's grace was sufficient in fact turn over to 2nd corinthians chapter 12 if you would 2nd corinthians in chapter 12 i love this passage I love talking about different people. They think, what was, the, what was the thorn in the flesh? I think it's real clear. I, I don't think there's any guesswork here. And this is just my opinion. I could be wrong. But look at verse 7. It says, Especially because of the extraordinary revelations, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, and then it says, comma, simple English here, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. This messenger of Satan that God allowed to come into his life, to, to buffet him, to keep him lowly, to humble him, so to speak. Some people say, well, is his eyesight? Who knows? Is his feet? Who knows? I simply choose to believe what Scripture says. A messenger of Satan. That God allowed. And concerning this, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take take it away from me. But He said to me, What? My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. I think Paul made up his mind to count it all joy, to consider it great joy to go through the trials that God allowed in his life. Would he have chosen it? No. But because God allowed it, and that God makes no mistakes, he said, I will choose to let God work through it. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient. We don't go through the trials alone. We may be lonely at times, but it's not because God has left us. God is still on the throne. And we need to remember that. So notice back in verse 1 of our texts, we see another key word there in James chapter 1, verse uh, 2. Consider it great joy, my brother, talking to believers here, Whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may mature and complete, lacking nothing. The word whenever. That word whenever is just a really interesting word. It's a Greek word, hotan. It implies that trials are inevitable. They're inevitable. It's not if you experience trials. It's when you experience trials. So it's not a question of whether or not it's going to happen. It's a question of when it's going to happen. So it's an amazing thing that trials are certain to come. And the word used for trials here is a general word, meaning that they could come in many, many forms, both internally and externally. But It's amazing here to consider. Sometimes we want a perfect life. Not sometimes, all the time. We all do. Now think about it. When we spend time in prayer, we ask God for his blessings. And in our mind, though we may not say it, the blessings mean this. I want a good day. I want all my financial bases covered. I want my kids not to be sick. I want my job to be secure. I want my house to be in good order. We have all kinds of stipulations or at least thoughts about how we want that blessing to look like. Or what we want that blessing to look like. We go on a journey or we go on a trip to the other side of the United States or, or across the world and we ask God for traveling mercies. We beg God half the time for an easy life. We're all guilty of it. My hand's first up. Because none of us wants difficulty. None of us wants to experience the trial. None of us wants to go through a headache of anything that's less than what we expect. We pray for God's blessing. And I'm not saying it's wrong. But the very thing we pray for is oftentimes the thing that God says, wait a minute, I'm allowing these things into your life so that you'll grow through them. I'm allowing these things so that you can have a a right attitude. And when we have a right attitude, as we'll talk about in just a moment, it confirms that we are truly a child of God. But we think about this. We don't want trials or testing. But these two words that one might think are similar, they're yet very different. Trials and testing. Though trials are sure to come, the testing that comes amidst or or during the trials as a result, and the testing will either validate or disprove the genuineness of the one going through the trial. In our case, what is being tested is our faith. Trials test our faith and cause us to answer the question of whether or not we truly believe. I want you to think about that for a moment. When God allows these things in our life, how we respond really says a lot. Not to those around us, but to God. Are we truly going to trust Him? Are we truly going to place our faith in Him and say, God, You are in control and I trust that what You're doing is best for me? The testing validates or disproves the genuineness of our faith. Trials test our faith and cause us to answer the question whether or not we truly believe. How we respond to the trials that God allows in our life will test the validity of our faith. Question. Do we respond correctly? Do we respond in such a way that would bring glory to God? Big Bob Hinky used to be a big guy. He's six foot eight, six foot nine. Big guy. He worked as a lineman for GTE, then Verizon and so forth for 30 years. On Saturdays, he had a tree trim in business, and uh, he's a big guy. Um, He had a 55 foot boom truck that he owned and he used to every weekend go do tree, tree trimming and so forth. Just huge guy. I mean, he'd see a limb about, you know, 8, 10 inches around. He would grasp those things with his big clawed hopper hands and he would set a, set his chainsaw underneath it and just let it cut through like butter and then he would direct it. Just big guy. I learned something from Bob. He said, you either have a big God and small problems or you got big problems and a very small God. I never forgot that. Because our outlook can change everything. If we look at that thing like a, that trial, that, dis- that dis- difficulty time we're going through as a huge mountain that can't be moved in, yeah, God is small. But if we say, you know what, God knows the mountains here and He's got some pretty big sticks of dynamite, He can do it. It's our focus, it's our attitude. And that's why He says in the imperative of verse 1 or verse 2 consider it. It's something that we are to do because God is big. None of us likes those things, but God allows them for a reason. Do we respond correctly to it? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 reminds us of something. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you're able to bear it. Everything that God allows in our life, he not only has a purpose, but he has us an ability or gives us an ability to overcome through it. Everything. So we're reminded, verse two of our text, that this testing will produce endurance. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. So in our text here, the word used for endurance connotes that there is a product of the testing. There is a product that results from the testing. The product is endurance. I want you to turn to Hebrews 11 just for a moment. As we near the end of the message this morning, I want you to look at... Some of your Bibles might have a heading entitled Heroes of the Faith as I look through this list of people, and I'm not going to read every verse. We don't have time for that. But I want to read a few verses. It says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, verse 1, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. What was he saying here? God's people won His approval by their faith. God looked at them and said, I approve. That's awesome. Put that into context. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by God's command, so that what is seen has been made from uh, things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man, because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Think about that. His faith was approved... I don't know about you, but that's a pretty difficult situation that God allowed in his life. I, I can't think of any one of us in this room who has children, who did have children, who, who might have children, to be able to say, I could sacrifice my son. Abraham. All these different people that we see here. I don't know that I could do that. In a perfect little world, I would say, yes, I'm a strong Christian. I would do exactly what God tells me to do. Right until it's your opportunity. Abel offers a better one. By faith, Enoch was taken away and he did not experience death. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built the ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Think about that, Noah. What are you building, Noah? A boat. What's a boat? Never seen anything like that. Can you imagine the ridicule and the shame and the constant scoffing? Perfect man? No. You can read about the, the mistakes he made, but he let God work through him. And his faith was approved. Started to talk about Abraham, verse 8 by faith. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents. Verse 10, For he was looking for a word to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder was God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was one uh, past the age since she considered that one who had been promised was faithful. Over and over. These all died, verse 13, without having received the promise, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, confessed them that they were foreigners and temporary residents of the earth. That's all of us. If we know Jesus Christ, this is not our home. We are just passing through. If we go on through the end of the chapter, right? verse 17, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. Over and over, these men whose faith was tested. They had to come to this conclusion, am I going to trust God or am I not? It's really that simple. Am I going to trust God or am I not? They all went through difficult situations. They all went through trying circumstances. And they came out victorious. Their faith was tested. There's a list of men and women who over and over proved themselves to be faithful. In conclusion, there is value in going through the trials of life. I want to look at three passages very quickly. Job 23, verse 10. Yet, he knows the way that I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will, what, emerge as pure gold. Hmm. The testing produces value. Think about that. There is value in going through the trial. In First Peter, chapter one, and verse seven. So that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in what? Praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's value in going through the trial. Second Corinthians. Chapter four, verse seventeen. It says, for our moment for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. It says our affliction is what? It's light. It's light. Most of what we'll experience in this life is really nothing compared to what Jesus Christ went through compared to what many of our forefathers went through, the historical heroes of our faith. So what is God wanting to do in and through us, through the trials of life? One thing he desires to do in all of us is to produce endurance. That character trait that can be within us, to keep going for God's glory. How does that accomplished? Last passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, this is after we just read about all those who exercised their faith. After all those who came up victorious. After all those who chose to handle the difficult situations and exercise their trust in God. comes to an end, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, look at verse 39 before we look at that. All these were approved through their faith. Think about that. All these were approved through their faith. Therefore, verse 1, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance, patience, the race that lies before us. And here it is. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him, endured a cross, despised the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God's throne. He said, let us run with endurance. That's what God wants us to do. That's what He's trying to work within us through the trials that He allows according to James 1, verse 2 and 3. That when we go through these things, we'll have endurance why To stay faithful to the end I don't know about you but I've met a lot of people over the years that started out strong they had an experience quote unquote they said a prayer quote unquote and when the difficult times came they disappeared I think the key is in verse 2 keeping our eyes on Jesus in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficult situation, when things aren't going so well, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. I don't think there's any more classic example of this principle than in the life of Peter. Lord, if that's You, let me come out to You. Come. Works his way out of the boat. Takes a step or two and I can't even imagine what's going through his mind. I'm walking on water. Whew. And then all of a sudden, the waves. I think it's so symbolic of what so many Christians go through. It is so symbolic of, man, we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We really kind of do want to be tested by Him. And, and He says, come, and we want to take that step. and But it's so hard to keep our eyes on Him. And it's really easy to notice the things that aren't going well. I mean, the the waves were undeniably close to Peter. And man, as soon as it started to get a little bit rough, he starts taking his eyes off Jesus and onto the wave. And what happens? Symbolically, it happens in everyone who claims the name of Christ. When they don't keep their eyes on Jesus, what happens? Man, I'm such a sink. Being a Christian doesn't eliminate struggle but when we keep our eyes on jesus through the struggle we have somebody to go through it with that's the difference and he says consider it i'm expecting this of you to count it great joy we should embrace it even though we don't like that thought We embrace it. Why? Because God is working in and through us to produce an endurance that will keep us faithful to the end. That's why he says, after all you read, all these great heroes of the faith lay aside every weight of sin that so easily beset us and keep your eyes on Jesus. It's only when we do that that we can see God's working in our life and what He's trying to accomplish in and through the struggle. So can I challenge all of us this morning? Count it joy. Because usually through the struggle, we get to see God work. One other thing that Big Bob used to always say, it's either a big problem or a big project. Problem says it's up to me. Project says I'm letting God deal with it. I'm letting God work through it. But either way, God can take a problem, turn it into a project that will bring Him praise, if we keep our eyes on Him. Let's pray. dearly Father, Lord, thank You for this day, and we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for all the fact that it's true in our lives today as it was the day it was written. We thank You that You don't change, that You're still God. The same God that we read about in the Old Testament is the same God that we read about in the New Testament. It's the same God we serve today. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, though we don't like it, thank you for the struggles. Help us to have the right mindset towards the struggles, the trials, the difficulties, the temptations. Help us, God, to have a right perspective. That we are going to choose to have joy even when it's not easy. Knowing that you're going to produce endurance for us, that we can be faithful to the end. God, help us. Lord, it's not natural. It's not our first response when trials come. Lord, I know for my own self, my flesh takes over. I'm selfish. I want what I want. I think certain things aren't fair. And yet, Lord, it doesn't have to be fair. You're God. If anything was unfair for anybody, I look at Joseph. Joseph and yet he stayed faithful. Help us to be that way.